inequality. It is safe to say that ever since the rise of the internet, inequality has risen with it. Governments and corporations know more and more about us, the people, while we know less and less about them. We hear a vague term like, it is the algorithm, or it is the system, while they have access to so much of our intimate information. But how do we solve this inequality? Is it by giving back privacy to the people? Or is it by exposing everything and allowing no more privacy at all? Not for corporations, not for governments, not for citizens. Raphael and our guest Ben Maliso from Securitized had an amazing discussion on this topic. Ben wrote the book Exposed, where he suggests to eliminate privacy altogether, while Raphael co-founded Safing with the core mission to bring back privacy to the masses. Enjoy this lovely debate on one of the most pressing issues of our time. Welcome to the Behind the Scenes of Safing, a for-privacy company. We are ordinary people who fight mass surveillance because we love freedom, just like you. I am David, your host. Welcome to our journey. Welcome, Ben. Thank you for being on our podcast. Um, nice talking to you. Thank you, Rafti. I'm really glad to be here. <laughs> um, why don't you introduce yourself, who you are, what, what your profession is, and what you do in your free time? <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, my name is Ben Maliso. Um, I am uh, an InfoSec consultant. Uh, mostly I do training and education and awareness. Uh, right now I teach a lot of um, IT certification prep classes for specific certifications like CISSP and CCSP and CCSK for both ISC Squared and Cloud Security Alliance. Um, I also do some writing. I guess that's something I do in my spare time. And uh, my latest book uh, is called Exposed, How Revealing Your Data and Eliminating Privacy Increases Trust and Liberates Humanity. Yeah, and that is exactly what we're here to talk about today. I uh -oh. read your book. Yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> thank you for, for um, giving me the chance to read it. And um, yeah, having your thoughts a little bit, I don't know, picked at, I think, is what we're going to do here. Uh, <laughs> you are the first person I've spoken to outside of an immediate family member who's read the book, so I'm really eager to hear what uh, you have to say. Really interesting. Yes. Yes. Cool, cool. No, I'm, I feel very honored. Um, I actually have to say that's the first thing to, to maybe set the, set the scene here. I read the book and I never heard of you before. I'm, I am sort of in our company, people from our podcast know this, um, not the InfoSec guy. We have two InfoSec guys, but I'm not one of them. And so um, I... I don't know if people who do the CCSP in Austria or in Europe would have heard of your books. I, I saw that they're pretty um, widely recognized as, as um, very helpful and good. And um, so, but I never heard of you before. And so I'm not offended. When... I'm only famous in very, <laughs> very small circles. Okay. Well, um, but then I, I got the book and I read it and it was very interesting to read and um, very interesting perspective because for me I thought and I think you already saw this on our website for us um, privacy is so fundamental as part of freedom and what you what your book is the premise what you said right now was that you think it actually liberates us and sets us free um, when we eliminate privacy mm -hmm. so this very interesting concept. And um, so from the get-go, I felt uh, very challenged in my ideas and in my beliefs. And I read through everything. And then I started listening to your podcast. 
And I have to tell you here as well, when I listened to your podcast, I felt like we're on the same team. <laughs> Absolutely. <But> how, <laughs> how do you come to such a different conclusion? <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> so, um, my first immediate question then would be, why did you write this book? What is what like set this off? Thank you. That's that's a great question. Um, the, the simple answer is my publisher asked me, "What do you want to write about?" And I said, uh, "I've got this crazy idea." the The other, the bigger reason is this is something I've been thinking about for probably a couple of decades, and I've just been muddling through it. Because I think that what we have right now, our, our quasi-private world, is not optimum. And I, and I was trying to figure out, I was trying to work through for myself, how could it be better? And I think the book is an examination of my process of going through that and breaking it down and, and seeing what the problems are and then how we might resolve them. I think that the premise, um, why you like see that we are suboptimal. I didn't, I heard that more in the podcast than, in, than I read in the book. Um, maybe it's, maybe it was just me. I only, I, I sort of sped through it fairly quickly. <laughs> we had a very busy, busy months um, uh, behind us. So, but I completed it. So that the thing is, I think I would agree on that point immediately. We are in a very suboptimal um, setting right now. Like and you you raised this point in the book as well, where we have this um, like this power um, dynamic where some people have access and so many don't. Yes. And so th there are some people who ha who know a lot and so many who don't even realize that the data is being taken or can't see how the data is being used. So, um, but maybe then for all and that creates a. A power disparity. A power disparity. That was what I was looking for, the word. <laughs> Great. No. And so, but our listeners and the people from the privacy realm now would say, well, we need to reduce the amount of data that we send out. And we need to fight against this surveillance um, that we are being subjected to without our consent or without <laughs> our, an option to say no. Yeah, and that's the popular uh, perception right now is in our field. And, and I'll call you an InfoSec guy. I mean, you, know, you, you work in privacy and you're building a more private world. Um, the, the current popular idea is let's add restrictions. Let's put up barriers. Uh, and those can be legal or technological or administrative or however we want to do it. That will... Uh, somehow reduce the power imbalance. That's the idea. That's the popular notion. I don't think that works. Um, I'm, uh, by education, a historian. And in practice, I've worked in a lot of industries that have massive power imbalances based on access to information. I've been uh, in the journalism world. I've uh, been a, a government contractor. I've been in the military. And all of those fundamental entities have access to information that nobody else does. And that's what gives them and lets them maintain a lot of power. So I am concerned that if we do uh, try to increase what we consider privacy today by giving more power to those same institutions, all we're really doing is increasing the imbalance and giving ourselves a facade of protection. So I don't think that would work. Um, and then to go a step further, my uh, idea of how to address this and really, really fix it is to say, let's try it the other way. Let's go with full exposure, total transparency for everyone and everything. That way there can be no power imbalances because everyone has access to the same data. For instance, um, you are going to make your software open source, right? Mm -hmm. It is already open yeah. source in GitHub. Yeah. Does that harm you? Theoretically, possibly someone can find a vulnerability and use it as a zero-day exploit. But the benefit that you receive, the community of a worldwide global set of eyes being able to review your stuff and update it on a constant basis, 
far outweighs whatever perceived risk there might be in that exposure. And I think we can do that with most things. I think our reluctance to go transparent is because we have been raised with such a predisposition against it, and it just makes us uh, feel uncomfortable. And I don't think we should be making choices based on feelings. I think we should do it based on sound, rational concepts. I agree on that point totally. And I also, um, as I already said, agree in the in the first bit, uh, at least partly. Um, my question would be how... You, you started in the book often to start explaining uh, a little bit uh, about why. Maybe you want to go into that a little bit more because you're, you're talking in our podcast mainly to people who, who are with the premise, as I said in the beginning, privacy is a part of freedom. Uh, if you don't have the, the right to keep something to yourself, um, then... This is taking. This is shaping who you are, and um, sort of maybe even like distorting if it's not complete. And this is, I understand, sort of uh, some of the premises you said um, about what the goal with this would be. And, sure, but I, you understand where yes, I'm going. Yeah, like, absolutely. Why? Why would you think? Maybe elaborate on that a little bit more. I think there's um, uh, also. Very different traditions from the U.S. mindset and perspective and the European, for instance. Oh, I agree so much. Yeah. <laughs> Where European, uh, like as we can see with the development of the GDPR coming out of the data mm -hmm. directive and the OECD uh, guidelines, says that privacy is a fundamental human right. And, and yep. I can understand the reason why, and I totally get that. Uh, conversely, though, for the U.S. perspective, and, and this is where I would kind of counter the suggestion that privacy uh, is necessary to freedom, in the U.S., we perceive expression as a fundamental human right. My ability to say anything, mm -hmm. print anything, um, post anything anywhere, because that's my right as a human being— the benefits of being able to have free expression as opposed to supporting privacy, I think outweigh the cost that that expression might cause in terms of personal risk. So for instance, I can say, Rafti is a thief and he stole money from me. That might hurt you because it might be false. It might be slander. And then you would have to defend yourself and give evidence as to why that's an incorrect substantiation. That's an incorrect assertion. However, the benefit, if it's true, other people can choose to do business with you or not do business with you based on information they receive from me, I think that outweighs the risks. And when it comes to freedom, I particularly want the freedom to say things about the government, the power structures, my elected officials, and businesses without any fear of my voice being silenced. So I think expression is more important to freedom than privacy is. Privacy is nice, but I don't think it's absolutely required for democracy and freedom. Oh, yeah. That, your democracy part in the book was very interesting <laughs> uh, to me as well. That also I, goes I, against I, the grain, too. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. Um, you wanna, uh, You said in there that Oh, I think it was in the book. It wasn't in the podcast. I'm sorry. I, you I are correct. Through yeah, it's, so much it's in the content. book. Yeah. Great. Okay. Um, the the part where you say like, and I, I this after thinking about it is um, very true that most um, elections aren't private, uh, but our democracy, like electing our leaders, is done in a way where you can't um, secret voting. Yeah, yeah. Where you have secret voting, and I don't understand was, why. I mean, you don't. No, I, I, you raised a couple of points in the book um, in regards to being pressured into a vote, or in regards to, and you, and I found it a little bit interesting. You had that point where you like um, you want to know if the shop where you go to to buy something, if the the vendor there. Um, uh, shares beliefs with you or not, and based on that, you would choose differently. 
And um, so <laughs> earlier you said something about power dynamics, uh -huh. and I'm, I'm just a little bit skeptical about the idea that the, this power dynamics, like if they would actually go away or just shift, you know? Yeah, what could the government do to us or what could the large corporations do to us if they had more data than they even have now, um, if they could constantly surveil us? Or it, that is true maybe as well, but also for you, uh, us as uh, individuals, you know, we, um, when you like, you, you have this premise that, or at least when I read something like that, I usually think, um, and maybe this is for me as a European looking towards the U.S. a little bit um, more extreme as well. But when I look at the U.S., I see a two-party system, which is unbelievable for me. Austria has six or seven parties, and the ruling party always has to share um, its power with the second party um, to, to actually be in charge um, and have about 50% of the votes. Uh, so, but when I look there and when I look at what you were saying, I'm like, but then you sort of have to exclude half of the population. Every single time we have an election. It's awful. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. Oh yeah, I completely agree with you. But afterwards, when you say like you don't want to interact with people sort of, or maybe approach them more cautiously when they don't share your beliefs or you like... Oh, I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to convey it in that way. And, and if it came across in the book that way, I, I apologize. Here, here's what I want. If my, if my neighbor votes in a referendum to uh, reduce the traffic law speeds, uh, the, the traffic speeds to 20 miles per hour, <laughs> just because my neighbor is afraid of, you know, uh, vehicular accidents... I want to be able to tell my neighbor he's an idiot and that, that it was a bad choice and that he shouldn't use force to try to make me act safer. I want to know if someone's putting undue influence on me. I don't think they should be able to hide behind a secret and go behind a curtain and then apply force to me. Everyone should be willing to stand up for what they believe and say it publicly and should be held accountable for their choices. If my neighbor votes for a fascist, I'm going to take that personally. If, on the other hand, if my neighborhood votes to uh, paint the town hall green instead of blue, I don't really care, and I'm not going to stop talking to my neighbor. Um, but I think that if if we all knew much more about how each other are behaving and what our choices are, I think we'd make more informed decisions. Even if the informed decision is, oh, you voted against gay marriage, you either need to explain to me why you did that in a way that I find acceptable, or yes, I am going to treat you differently. And I think that's fair. Mm -hmm. That is sort of where I'm like, where I have issues with. Because um, I'd say... Or would you th say that um, this is you're more honest when you vote and everybody knows what you voted for? Or would you say this would encourage dishonesty and would encourage and maybe then put a little bit more power into, into stuff like social media, um, the thing which like where you can be prepared to have like an understanding of what is acceptable or not? Uh, so are you saying like somebody would change their vote because they're afraid of the shame that would be associated with their unpopular choice? Oh, with their ho whole shame culture, I have a yeah. whole different like thing where I'm like, oh, this is so um, different from country to country, <laughs> uh, <laughs> where I would say this wouldn't work worldwide. <laughs> uh, but, but yes, partly I'm asking this as well. Maybe not even just ashamed, but maybe socially accepted. It doesn't have to be ashamed. And the second part, which uh, where I went to as well, is uh, our um, what we perceive as socially accepted is mostly informed um, by our social bubble. So, if um, 
Well, I want to address the. I think those are two separate things, and and if you don't, I'll I'll try to I'll try to come at them both ways. The first thing is if someone actually does change their vote because they're afraid of peer pressure, then what they're prepared to do is not stand by their principles because they're afraid that it'll make them unpopular. Freedom is not a popularity contest. Freedom doesn't go to someone who is unprincipled. We have to constantly earn freedom over and over and over again, even when those choices are difficult. If you have to... If you have to disagree with your family and friends because what you are doing is correct, then you do that anyway. Or if you choose not to, then you were never going to be free. Uh, Unless you're willing to make sacrifices for what you believe in, then what you believe in is not something you're willing to stand up for. So in terms of the voting aspect, um, if my neighbor doesn't want to stand behind their choice to paint the town hall a certain color, good then they didn't have a force of conviction and they shouldn't be allowed to make that choice. Someone who really is prepared to defend their own choices publicly, adamantly, and stridently, that person should be the one who making, making the decisions. Um, okay. Just, just let me sort of, sorry, but intercept here sure, for a sure. second. Sure, No, no, no. But no then problem. we have this, this power discrepancy again. Isn't then the person, isn't it then mostly the survival of the fittest, like the strongest? And in that case, it wouldn't, would maybe not be the strongest physically. Although I can tell you, you had this a crime part in there where I'd say, well, this would uh, help survival of the fittest in a physical way as well. But in that regard, the people who are more like strong in their opinions, wouldn't that like help them more in that sort of society? And would people who are like um, more in the fringes, wouldn't them they be pushed uh, out, sort of? And as you said, being peer pressured and uh, get their freedom removed in a sense, uh, just because society. That's a really good question. Yeah. I, I don't have an easy answer for that. And, and, I, and I think I put about a million caveats in the book that I'm not exactly positive how this would uh, play I, yeah. out. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but I will say this. I hope that it's not true that the people who are the most vocal and strident are the ones who are always going to win in a challenge of ideas. What I hope, and my belief in humanity, I, I honestly do have confidence that that humanity is a, a, a force for good uh, overall. I would hope that ideas are measured not on how loud somebody shouts them, but on whether the idea is reasoned, informed, and resonates with sufficient numbers of people, not just because it sounds good or is popular, but because it's right. And I think those things evolve over time. And I used a few examples in the book, and there was a period of time in human history not too long ago where, for instance, LGBT people uh, were perceived as immoral and prosecuted. We had laws against them, and uh, there was actually a, um, a, a common sense of public decency that said anyone who participates in these activities or has these inclinations should be uh, persecuted, prosecuted. And what we've come to do is we've evolved over the decades and centuries and we've said, you know what, it's just not true. There is no real basis for claiming that someone who has one particular sexual attraction is somehow more ethical or well-behaved than somebody else who isn't. Um, so the truth has created a situation in our reality where people are more willing to accept and have rescinded all of those laws and practices. And I think in general, most social mores where, um, uh, that kind of behavior is no longer looked down upon and rightly so. I think with more exposure of ideas and more exposure of data, more people have to become informed just because the data is right in front of your face. If you hide it away and, and um, make it forbidden for anyone to look at or talk about, 
then what you're doing is creating a power vacuum where biases and prejudice can fester and grow. When it's right in front of your face, you can't deny it. I'd say two things to that. Um, the first, in regards to the uh, LGBTQ uh, movement getting traction and being more acceptable, I'd say the only reason it could grow and could actually become a movement and not just uh, individuals who can be pushed down was because of privacy, was because they weren't exposed and were able to sort of get to know uh, other people who are like-minded uh, like and talk with them and actually understand, well, it's not just me, it's us, and we can sort of start shaping the society. So I, this would be that I would, part, yeah? I would respectfully have to disagree. I think... Okay. I, I would think that the movement, uh, perhaps the, the, the roots of the movement started in secrecy and... Um, uh, was forced to be in a sheltered or ensconced environment uh, to initially meet each other. However, I don't think they became powerful as a political force until uh, probably Stonewall, the riots, where they were finally sick of being pushed around by the New York Police Department and uh, prosecuted and persecuted, and were willing to stand up, throw rocks, and vocally be public and say, you know what? Well, to, to you know, borrow the, the slogan, we're here, we're queer. Now you have to deal with us, right? And, and that gave them the uh, political power and wherewithal to not be uh, marginalized. Without that, without being able to stand up, without being able to take the lumps, you're never going to be on parity with the majority and the non-marginalized groups. But then my question in that regard would be, do you think in, in a world where everything is exposed, the counterside would be uh, the numbers who are against um, this um, development are known as well? And wouldn't you say in that regard um, that because as a European looking towards the U.S., and I, I am very, um, <laughs> I consume very left-leaning media most of the time. And uh, sometimes when I listen to, I don't know if you watched John Oliver's last week tonight, but last time when I saw this and the immediate reaction I got is, man, you, you need to be careful. Almost half of the people in the U.S. voted against uh, what you are just uh, celebrating and I understand that there are people celebrating outside um, the, the uh, Biden now won. But like half of, of the U.S. population was depressed and actually lost. And so that's partly why I'm like, I don't understand. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, there was a referendum on being gay? No, no, not a referendum. No, uh, I'm but sorry, you lost I think, me here. No, no, no. But the thing there is, what I would say is, um, do, don't you like there was there were enough if it, would you agree if everything is exposed you should know how many people are against gay rights sure absolutely and there wouldn't you wouldn't, wouldn't have you to want have a to referendum know, wouldn't you want to know if your neighbor was a racist wouldn't you want to know if your neighbor was sexist or misogynist I certainly I think, would <laughs> and I under I I think I would not, because that would change how I see and perceive them. And if I like them, um, I don't think I would want to know this, um, <laughs> because I would change my behavior based on that. And so what, but then the thing is, um, what I was aiming for is you wouldn't have to have a referendum. You would have, you would know at any given time how many people are for and against. And if you know that, um, my question towards you would be, do you actually think that uh, during those riots there were more people for gay, uh, like pro-gay rights than there were against? No, I think most people didn't care. I think the ones who were allowed to capture the conversation were the loudmouths, the strident people you were talking about earlier. 
the ones yeah. the ones who could speak into a vacuum against LGBT communities because no one was allowed to speak up for LGBT communities. You had the TV preachers, you had the politicians, and they were all screaming about immorality and about how bad it was. Most people just sat by and ate their breakfast cereal because nobody else was saying anything else, because it was illegal to do so, because it was unpopular. Yeah, but then the que- my question is, if it, everything is exposed in that regard, wouldn't all those conversations at home, all those people who silently, now in our society, silently would agree uh, at their dinner table, and let's say this wouldn't change. They would silently sort of agree. So this could be on record, and we would see how many people would be against this. Wouldn't this hinder development and change in that regard? Uh, I'm sorry, I, I, I may not understand. The people who don't have a, a personal stake in it, are you yeah. saying it, if, if there was knowledge, then they, they wouldn't act? I, I'm sorry. Let's say, so if, okay. if I am in charge of the government and I have an, uh, like people on the streets okay. who are protesting for something, I could at any point go and have a, like a snapshot okay. how many people are for and against this. And I would pull in all the private conversations because I want a picture of the country. And so I would uh, now ask you, would you think that in that regard, those people on the streets outweigh the many people at home okay. oh, okay. who have I don't I know, see heard those you, preachers I see what you're saying. agree. You say you don't, they don't care, and I... And I agree they don't care enough to go uh, out on the streets. But if they're uh, approving of what the preacher is preaching at home in an exposed world, um, you would know how many people these are. And there can't be like, um, uh, like that few people. That's what I was going It would be with. like a referendum by polling almost. Exactly. By polling, but by polling of data that's already out there because Good. everything is recorded and yeah. everything is, is, is stored and we can capture this information at any time. Then politicians would have known 50 years ago that by and large, most people don't feel strongly one way or another about it. And in fact, would just be totally comfortable letting their LGBT neighbors and relatives live their lives as full citizens. And those politicians would have earlier walked back their um, effrontery towards the LGBT community because they would have learned that the loudmouths weren't as popular as they appeared to be because they were the only ones allowed to command the public voice. When expression was limited and they were the only ones talking, then the politicians had to follow them. If the politicians were to poll somebody and find out, okay, most of my populace thinks this is not popular, then yeah, they're going to lean that way. If they think this is popular, then yeah, absolutely. I mean, isn't that democracy though? I, I sort yeah, yeah, I agree on that part. The only thing I am skeptical about um, your view there because the polling done before the last election showed that the country is more left than it actually is because people to the right usually don't um, voice their opinion in public like that. There are a couple of groups, of course, which, yeah, but most of them would um, tend to give an dishonest answer yes. to see more liberal. Correct. So I'd say... Or they'd give a dishonest answer for a number of reasons. I lied to every pollster... Who called me during this election? Really, I did. Okay, it's on so purpose. Interesting. I have I have no clue regarding pollsters. Uh, <laughs> I've never been called by somebody like that. This, this is just something that doesn't happen in Austria. It's so so funny. But see, that's that's maybe something where I'd like where I would say sort of yes, this might be a cultural difference from the U.S. to Europe as well, um, where we in Europe are, I'd say. I don't know, less vocal about this, uh, about many things in in that way. It starts to change now, and I'm seeing that, that it's 
becoming more and more normal here as well. But we're we're different here, uh, maybe as well. So, but then the, so, the question. Yeah. So oh, yeah. the question is: Would politicians give more credence to popular opinions versus unpopular opinions? And I guess my mm-hmm. question back would be: Isn't that what we do with elections already? And shouldn't that information be <laughs> open to the electorate? How can I, as a voter? make an informed choice if I don't know enough information. I agree. Um, I, I understand, and this is a problem with too little uh, parties. If you have more parties, you can have the nuances more clearly. But I, I agree, um, in our elections, I still have to choose the lesser poison because nobody has my ideals inside the government completely. And, <laughs> I, and that's why I think I want to go to Iceland. Don't they have the pirate party or something like that? That's oh, like that, the only party on the planet well. that seems appealing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Well, I, I understand. But to maybe move on from politics, you sure. said now again um, something I wanted to uh, go to earlier as well. When you said about like if you have the data, wouldn't you be able to make a more informed decision? I so much, especially now with COVID, and I know I bring up two topics we usually don't on our podcast, and as far as I heard on yours, neither, uh, politics and and public health. But (laughs) in COVID, in Austria, it's a mess. People, their graphs and their, like, people don't understand them. They're getting so much data and they can't parse it. They don't, and I I would say, um, from an educational perspective, Austria is very highly educated. Um, most of our, like, especially with COVID, most of uh, our problems were that the people, the frontline workers, um, aren't from Austria, and they would have to come into Austria. But now, when Austria is closing borders, we have an we have a, a discrepancy there where our healthcare workers or like um, the nurses, especially. Um, couldn't come in, so this was a whole debacle. But we had enough. We have enough doctors, but too little nurses. Um, so uh, I'd say most of them should understand what um, what the data is. I'd, I'd say, but even in my circles, and I know I'm very. I, my bubble is highly educated. Most of them have an an, an university degree and stuff. And even with those. I, I saw sometimes them throwing their logic out of the like window and just take um, the popular opinion at face value, and I just had to like facepalm there and be like, "But have you have you looked at the data? No, no, no. They're saying this and that." And I sort of would say this wouldn't change. Um, all right. So if I understand your question. It's um, what about the concern that even with the data, people may choose to make choices that ostensibly might not be in their own best interest or might not uh, might be based on biases or superstition or whatever other cause. Is, is that the question? Because they don't understand it or because they are sort of like controlled or the information, how it is presented controlled, is done in a way that's misleading. Controlled by whom? Uh, just like as I like survival of the fittest, people who are like loud, who can like rile up uh, a certain base and have like um, enough understanding of the data, enough okay. understanding uh, of the uh, data. Demagogues. Like, social media is full of influencers. It's filled with influencers because people like to hear what their opinions should be. You know. Uh, okay, I, I hear that claim a lot. I'm not so sure. It, 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 I don't. I don't think we have data to support that. And and, and here's the strange thing. Um, I think that in a world with more secrecy, where conversation is stifled, that that tendency actually increases as opposed to being reduced. I want the ability for every voice to be here heard. Even the ugly voices, the voices that are um, not something that we would find acceptable, because I think that it's worth reproving over and over and over again that the things we believe are good and true and right, 
for cause, not just because a voice of authority has said, this is what you should believe, this is what we've always believed, now you got to continue to believe it in the future. I think when you cede authority to someone else, even if that means listening to a doctor who reads the data more than I do, or um, uh, listening to a scientist who works in a lab more than I do, I think when you cede them authority, particularly, and now we're talking about public health, it's a political authority, regardless of how else it's couched. You create a possibility for that authority to be abused as well. And I, I, you seem like a slightly younger man to me, um, so I, I don't know if you remember um, when HIV first uh, started being detected and addressed. Um, but when that occurred, there was a lot of misinformation being published <laughs> by the authorities at the time. And, um, this was done, I won't say it, it was done purposefully. It was done, uh, with an overabundance of caution. Their, their, cons their feeling mm -hmm. was at the time, and, and to give them the benefit mm -hmm. of the doubt, they truly believed that, mm -hmm they could overcorrect and make uh, stronger cautions so that they might help people. That if the worst thing that happened is that people chose to be more cautious, that would be an overall good. In reality, that's not a decision I want anyone else making for me. Tell me what the risks are, and I will respond accordingly. You and I both know, working in a quasi-security industry in the in the data industry, people individually make terrible security decisions. We decide we decide every day to do the thing that is absolutely most likely to kill us, and that's get into a motor vehicle. If we were really concerned about our own safety, we'd never get in a car. However, <laughs> yeah. most of us have decided for ourselves that even though we understand we might die in a car, the cost of convenience to never riding in a motor vehicle is far outweighs personal risk to ourselves, And nobody else should be allowed to tell us, well, you can't ride in a car because it's just not safe for you. It's not in your best interest. Even though the data exists, even though I know that's the truth, I'm going to make my own choices accordingly. If I want to drink alcohol, if I want to eat sugary desserts, if I want to smoke cigarettes, I should be allowed to do that, and nobody else gets to make that choice for me. Does that make sense? Uh, that makes total sense. And I would extend this to the right to deciding who gets what data from me. Well, you know. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, well, all right. Uh, well, let me ask you this, though. I, um, I, and I hope you don't mind. I'm going to refer back to one of your early podcasts. Um, oh, sure, when, sure. I, I listened to your, your stuff is fascinating and I, and I absolutely love what you're doing and I think it's great. Um, you said that you first got into the whole idea of privacy and security or personal security because your buddy wanted to order the PlayStation and Amazon wasn't oh, yeah. allowing him, right? Okay. Yeah. And, and I, that would have frustrated me so much because I love my PlayStation. That is like the major thing in my life. Uh, apologies to Robin. Yeah. Um, uh, my <laughs> question to you is, yes, um, your buddy should know why Amazon chose to decline the transaction. I completely agree with that. And I think total transparency would mean that he knows why they chose to decline. That The only thing that allows Amazon to act capriciously is that they have privacy. They are not forced to declare why they made which choices they made. Conversely, I do understand Amazon's issue. If there was anything in your friend's personal uh, financial history that seemed untoward or risky or untrustworthy, they should be allowed to decide whether or not they want to do business with your friend in the same way that uh, your friend can choose whether or not to buy a PlayStation from Amazon. I don't think giving your friend the authority to say, well, 
I don't want anyone to know that I was using a stolen credit card, so expunge my data from your database. I don't think that's fair to anybody else, people who want to have legitimate transactions or engage in actual business. So there's a massive trade-off there. I agree, but didn't you say, like, just before, that you believe in the good of the people? And wouldn't the same hold true for a society where I can decide what to be public and what to be private about? I believe in the good of humanity as a collective being. Individual <laughs> beings can be real. Am I allowed to curse on this? <laughs> we, we, I don't know, but I understand. You usually don't. <laughs> we usually Individual don't. Individual <laughs> human beings can be very ugly. How's yes. that? Individual yes. beings can be serial killers, psychopaths, yes. fraudsters. Yes. So while I do believe collectively over the, the millennia, we have created a far better world than ever existed before, particularly for our own species. I'm also very realistic and I work in the security field and I realize that if someone is given ultimate authority to stifle someone else's voice, that is a very dangerous situation for everyone else. And I think we've just seen this in France and I mentioned it in the book with uh, their, their president who has more than once been caught trying to hide bad data about himself and his administration and recently tried to introduce um, legislation that would make it illegal to observe police officers being police officers uh, or to record them while they were performing their job function. That is absolutely not a world I want to live in where the police can act with impunity and aren't even allowed to be observed. That's, that's much more terrifying than people knowing what I do uh, when I'm alone by myself. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, there, I have to interject just a bit there to put a little bit on a caveat on that thing, because police brutality is a thing that's now very public in the media, uh, or at least in US media. We in Europe don't have that much of a problem with police brutality. Our police doesn't have tanks. Our police doesn't uh, drive around with a shotgun and then... AR in their cars. They usually have only like um, hand pistols. And yes, in certain sh situations, they get um, additional gear and stuff, but usually they don't drive around like that. Uh, even in Paris. I've been to Paris, and yes, after they had some protests, there were a couple of streets that got secured a little bit more strictly, but um, that's something where I'm like, um, our police doesn't have the same... Um, I'd say agency, they don't have the same rights as in the US and uh, therefore I'm much more comfortable with, with, um, with like them not being allowed to be recorded. In Austria, it's generally the law. I'm not, as a private citizen, um, I can say if somebody pulls out a phone, you're not allowed to record and I can demand and I can sue him if he's not deleting the recording of me. Uh, usually we don't sue that often <laughs> in Austria, but see, we are going the complete opposite way, uh, that, and I'm fine with it. Uh, well, uh, <laughs> oh, uh, Maybe an additional major difference. One of the first things you get taught as an Austrian going on the, in the US for a vacation, when the police car pulls you over, you don't get out of the car. In Austria, the first thing you do is get out of the car, talk to him, be like, what's up? And you're having a normal conversation. And I heard of people who had a very rough time um, after encountering a police officer and getting out of the car um, oh, when okay. he got pulled uh, over. It, but Rafti, <laughs> and I really don't mean to be offensive here. Yeah, sure. European history does not speak well of European <laughs> authorities having <laughs> unmitigated power. Uh, you don't have to tell this to somebody from Austria. Okay, all right. So, so, all I, so what I'm trying to say is I want to keep their job difficult. I want to monitor them mm -hmm. as much as possible. I want to be able to whip out my phone and record anyone doing anything that may be untoward. Um, just because you don't have a problem now doesn't mean you want to say, oh, well, we haven't had a problem for 50 years. Let's let it go. You know what I'm saying? Uh, 
I, it's I, more I, like 70 years now, but And again, I, I understand I'm, what you're... Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, keeping power in check, I think, is best for everyone. And transparency goes a long way to keeping power in check. I agree. I agree. Yeah. And, and you're not alone in Europe. I mean, um, where was it? Was it... Was it Romania? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Who was it? Who, they passed the law saying you can't say bad things about their president? Oh, I think. Was oh. it, was that just this year? Yeah, uh, I, it could be Hungary. It was in the book. I'm sorry. Hungary or Turkey. Hungary. It was Hungary. Yeah, yeah, Thank yeah, yeah. you. No. Yeah, it was Hungary. And yeah, they're being yeah. threatened to get yeah. kicked out of the EU for, for stuff like that. Good. <laughs> I agree as well. So maybe to. And wouldn't you hate if they had made that decision in secret and we didn't even know about it? <laughs> it's hard to draft laws in secret or enforce secret laws. Uh, um, I, again, as a historian, I would beg to differ. <laughs> right now, you've got, you've got the Uyghurs in China yeah. being put into concentration camps. Yeah. And the world is silent. And I don't see anything about it in the news anywhere. Really? And um, <laughs> I do. Yeah. I do. <laughs> I mean, it is... Okay, okay. Well, good. Uh, here it's it's not even discussed or talked about and um yes and it's awful and you've got an entire secret government apparatus uh under the the party in china which pretty much can act with impunity and can censor anything they choose to so that nobody can hold them accountable that's i don't i think that's antithetical to freedom and uh liberty so i i, I would just Yes, I understand the desire for privacy. However, I think it's not optimum for either personal security or collective security. Yeah, security is, uh, that's a hard thing. Because usually in the privacy sector, uh, the first thing you say is uh, it's security above privacy. If you're not secure, or at least if your data isn't secure, then all the privacy doesn't help you at all. So, And the weird thing is we've been treating security as if the only way to approach it was with confidentiality, when that's patently not true. The two are not synonymous. Uh, for instance, if you look at blockchain, the whole reason everyone has confidence or faith in it, or at least the users have confidence and faith in it, is because anyone can see the log. We can all review the transactions. We may have anonymity, but we know when and where and who's done what with the money, at least according to the, the numeric log. Um, so we can do security without having privacy. You, you, have open store, you have open source code, and yet you still own your material. You still have the right to use it and do with it what you want. And I, I see sort of a trend here where I agree with you in, be, like, in being transparent from or requiring transparency from companies, requiring transparency from, um, from, from the government. I totally agree. And uh, at least uh, with us here, uh, I can only speak um, <laughs> from the governments I know best. Um, our uh, communications from our government have to be uh, stored and at least be view, viewable by the opposing parties as well. So every, every conversation that's um, done within the office of the, uh, the, the um, position they have. We have those laws here too, Rafti. Okay, no, that's, uh, but I think this is... And you know what has happened in our country? <laughs> More than once... When someone's gone to go look at those drives, suddenly those drives have failed, oh, and no. the backup has failed, and really? the backup the back has failed, or yeah. that one's in the safe and we can't reach it. This has <laughs> happened so often, it's despicable, mm -hmm. and it's almost predictable and laughable at this point if it wasn't so scary and sad. Mm -hmm. And, and I agree. The government needs to be more transparent. I 100% I agree. And partly, uh, and uh, companies as well. Partly why we are open source is because of that belief. And we also are open about our finances. We share how much money we get from whom. And um, so that people... I loved the episode when you talked about choosing which kind of financing you were going to go with and why you didn't want to go with angel investors and the compromises you had to make 
uh, getting in bed with the, was it the space agency that yes. you took grants? <laughs> yeah, that was, that was brilliant content and it shows the trade-off you had to make. And you actually sounded like there was personal pain there when you had to make those choices because you really understood what it was you were giving up. Yeah, yeah, no, of course, of course. Angel investment, um, I, I don't know if you looked at the numbers as well, but in that regard, from our side, we had to have, of course, like much more personal investment when you have an angel yep. investor and you get like five episodes ago, you had uh, somebody who got six million um, seed fund, you know, with six million dollars um, in the bank. Yep. <laughs> I, well, our, the Saving Privacy Network would have been out yesterday. I can tell you, I promise that. <laughs> I would have well, hired If you want, I can, put a, I can put you in touch with him. That was, that was Craig from uh, Hyperproof? Yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, but, no, uh, thank you. I, I mean, if you could put And he it said it so casually, didn't yes, he? Yes, exactly. He said it's just like, oh, it's just $6 million. And I'm like, what? I could do a lot with $6 million. <laughs> No, and we, of course, as well. But um, as I said, for us, it's like having, having somebody else who might not want to be as transparent as we are um, yeah. influencing our decisions and having sort of a say in where the company goes. This is totally against um, what we believe is required of a company that you need to trust as much as uh, possible um, to provide you with the tools to protect yourself. So where would I draw this line or where would I think where we start to disagree is I agree that transparency is required with offices or with public, like with entities, anything that's not a person per se, you know? Um, even if per- people are involved, of course, like the president is a person, yes, but as the president, the office needs to be transparent. And so everything that is done as uh, in the public, with public money or in a public way that's affecting other people, that needs to be transparent. But on a personal level, I'd say... That needs to be able to, there, there needs to be the possibility for each individual to choose what, what they want to share and whatnot. And, and that's, that's where I don't see um, what, how the benefits uh, there outweigh the sort of social implications of, um, as you said, like uh, this shaming, public shaming and peer pressuring people into directions where they... Wouldn't want to go. Interesting. Well, I just, I just want to point out what you explained momentarily ago was, was exactly the kind of trade-offs I think individuals should have to make. You made a tough choice. You made the choice of we're not going to take the easy funding. We're going to stick by our principles because we're afraid that our product would be compromised if we did take outside investment. And understandably (laughs) so. If someone gives you money, they have every right to tell you what to do with the money. And you you made a hard decision. And you made, I think, the right decision. And does that mean that it's financial Darwinism, that you're somehow able to win out over somebody else because you're stronger in your convictions than someone who would take the money and run? Maybe, maybe not. And maybe the marketplace is the place to make those choices and decisions. Um, so I, I'm, I'm just very impressed that you're demonstrating the sort of uh, responsibility and culpability that I think everyone could choose to do. But I see the cost, the personal cost it, it takes. Uh, and I see how many of my friends wouldn't be able to do this. And maybe I, I misjudged them. And uh, now I'm saying You just shouldn't protect your friends. Publicly. Your friends are adults and they can make their own choices. Yeah, but we as a society don't work like this. Uh, the reason why we need the police in the first place, why we need this, this structure, why we need society as a whole, is to protect those individuals who can't protect themselves. I, Okay, so... That's the reason why we group together in those things we call countries, because there we have this sort of um, common ground where we agree, well, this is the protection that we want. And, this is, and that's the reason why, you know, we have social health care in a much higher 
like um, a much much higher social costs, like healthcare costs, than you have. Because this is what um, we in Europe mostly agree. We pay more taxes to get this and and to p protect the weak, you know, protect the people who can't protect themselves. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I, but I think there's other social structures that can do that. And I think by and large, preying on the weak can only exist when um, not as many people know about it. Uh, and, and I and again, that's another reason to not have privacy. Um, fraud, uh, particularly the elderly, are uh, very susceptible to social engineering attacks, phishing, and, yeah. and other sorts of things. I agree. Um, and the only reason those things can continue to take place is because the criminals have the secrecy. Uh, and if they didn't, there would be no opportunity for those kinds of ills to take place. I don't think you need a strong centralized entity to necessarily uh -huh. encourage that. Once again, I think if I know who the fraudsters are, um, they can either be avoided or neutralized even without having uh, police powers. Um, not that I'm I'm not suggesting vigilantism. <laughs> what I'm saying is the more everyone has an understanding of what's going on, the more we can protect each other and those mm -hmm. we care about. Um, yes, it's a very different approach, U.S. versus Europe. Uh, we're much more con uh, concerned about individual freedoms and individual choice. Um, but I would ask you this. Uh, you have four, five, six political parties over our two, which is a lot better. If anyone, if you have to have political parties, more is better. Do you still feel that among those four or five or six or eight or 10, there's one party that represents all of your choices and that there's never compromise to where you don't feel that you've been disenfranchised from something no, you believe? I, I said earlier, of course, I, I always have to choose the lesser person, yeah. uh, poison. It's yeah. always that case. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree totally. Well, yeah. <clears throat> uh, yeah. I think we agree on more than, than uh, we absolutely, disagree on. Absolutely, absolutely. And that was why I was so much looking forward to, to talking to you. <laughs> um, so I'd say uh, I, I can't even tell now how much of an, an actual episode we have here, but to, our editor will figure <laughs> this out. Um, but I was very much enjoying this. I have maybe one question at the end. Like, do you want to share or pitch sure, um, something, except your book so and your podcast. We will link, of course, <laughs> to the, both, of, both of those um, in the description, but maybe tell, tell us what is the podcast called? Ah, the podcast is called The Sensuous Sounds of Infosec. And basically, <laughs> Robin and I just riff on any topic that we happen to feel like. And uh, we often bring in some excellent guests. Like there's this guy named uh, Rafti. <laughs> We're hoping to get him on here very shortly. And um, uh, hopefully we make it entertaining and informative because I don't think there's enough of that in our industry. So uh, please tune in, securitizedwithay.com. I listened to a couple of episodes, like above 10 from your 40-ish episodes. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. seriously? As I said, that's the reason why I can, could not distinguish like what I read and what I listened to because I consume so much. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's great. It's great. I, I definitely am a subscriber now, and I will continue. So you have four listeners now. Uh, <laughs> Outstanding. <laughs> no, I believe you have more. <laughs> but um, maybe there, a fun fact, we don't actually know how many listeners we have. We don't track this uh, as well. It's a hard uh, thing. I know. Like, sometimes we yep, would like to know. Yep. When you, but you believe in what you're saying. <laughs> you actually give privacy to the people, uh, and that's, that's is, hard to is, do. Because sometimes people ask, and I can't tell you if we have eight or four people who are listening. So, <laughs> But you now have Well, one more. if it makes you feel any more yeah. comfortable... We can, we can only see the people who get the, the podcast from our website. The platforms or the RSS feed are much harder to track. So all we see is fluctuations. We don't, we don't actually see the, the moment by moment. Okay. So. Well, I'm using... Maybe that's a little bit of I'm a I'm not listening through the website. I'm sorry. So you won't see me as the fourth person. That's okay. Which platform are Overcast. you using, if you don't mind my asking? 
Yeah, I'm <laughs> so with that as well. I'm one of the things that keep me on the Apple ecosystem um, and not allowing me to fully switch to open source software. Well, there's just some very good apps uh, in the closed sector. So, like proprietary yeah. sector. <laughs> yeah. So, Overcast is, is my podcast player of choice. Also, I didn't even know we were on Overcast. I I just put in the the URL, I think. I'm, and then it goes and fetches it for yes, you? Yes, exactly. But I think, so ah. I might, I, no, it was That's already on there. That's why we can't there. track you. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, but the other thing, of course, the book, or do you want to uh, like tell us about other books as well? But Exposed, of course, was the book we were talking about. Uh, yeah, I've written a few other books as well. Um, the Official Study Guide for the CCSP exam and the Official Practice Test books uh, for uh, same, the CCSP exam. I've also written another book called How to Pass Your InfoSec Exam, which pretty much covers all the different certifications I've ever taken, including Security Plus, uh, CISM, and, and uh, so forth. Uh, so if you're interested and you're, you're in our field and you're looking for that kind of information, please check it out. It's available via Amazon. Should be fairly cheap. Everything on Amazon. Okay, that's where you want the people. Feed Amazon <laughs> with the data. Uh, you would have for... <laughs> I wish I could sell it somewhere else, but I don't know another good platform for doing so. Okay, so it actually only is available on Amazon. Yes, sadly. Okay, well, I, our, our listeners, I think, don't like Amazon that much. I can understand the that. The big data, data grabs. Well, but if they're in the infosec sector, which I think... Many are. Um, <laughs> our company is, as you already mentioned, almost an infosec company, just with a privacy focus. Um, and so we everything is privacy first. But as I already said, security needs to be good to actually have privacy. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. Okay. So thank you for being on our podcast. And... Yeah, talk to you soon. Thank you very much for having me, Rafty. I really appreciate it. And, and anytime you want to have another conversation, I'd be glad to do so. Thanks for joining. Did you know that in today's world, you're only four connections away from anyone on this planet, be it Edward Snowden, a local corrupt politician, or your favorite celebrity? So if you tell two of your friends about safing, in no time, a million people including Spider-Man, will get easy and free privacy. Aside from that, you can always support us by using Podmaster, rating our podcast, or giving us a star on GitHub. Anyway, I hope you have a good one, and remember, don't go on the internet naked. <laughs>